So glad that you are with us today. Welcome to the program. My name is Joseph Backholm, and over there in the other chair is Caleb Backholm, who happens to be mi hermano. That's and Spanish lingo for my hermano or brother. My yeah. hermano, yes. Today, we are going to talk about a uh, not really a very funny subject, um, but we are going to talk about school shootings. And how to react to them, because tragically, they are once again in the news. Um, yeah, and know, this one isn't this one isn't really smart or stupid. It's just tragic and sad. Evil. It it is. It, it and there's one in Parkland, Florida, but there's also some a, a story of a non-shooting. Which if there's not really good news in this world, but I guess there can be when you avoid something uh, more local to us here in Washington State in Everett. But we know in Parkland, this kid, Nicholas Cruz, opened fire. Former student, is that right? Do I remember yeah, that? Yeah, former a f- student expelled, and interestingly expelled from two other schools, too, I found out. He's been expelled three times from schools, and we can address that in a, f- in a few minutes. But yeah, he was expelled, sent out. Wasn't supposed to come back, but he did. Had he graduated? Because he was 19, which tells me that you might be out of high school. But he, Yeah, I think he, he had not graduated. I'm not certain. I think he had not graduated, maybe potentially pursuing a GED or something like that. But comes back and opens fire. Very premeditated, extra ammunition. You know, it's sadly kind of a, a, you know, it's a story we're familiar with now. Somebody comes in with a bunch of ammunition and a bunch of weapons, has an AR-15, which he apparently purchased legally in Florida, and uh, seventeen kids didn't go home. Well, and seventeen every, people. Every time you hear this, something like this happen, we see on the news right away two sentence, sentiments that are totally understandable. We can't let this ever happen again. You hear that, and someone has to do something. And how could you disagree with either one of those statements? But what can we do? And I, I have a number of responses that I found on social media that I thought would be interesting to respond to ideas uh, some ideas none of the ideas are terribly stupid I didn't I decided for this episode to not find stuff that's just really flamboyant but ridiculous it's kind of funny and and, and fun to to knock there are times for that but all these ideas have at least some merit I think although not necessarily merit in my mind but a reason that a lot of people would accept them and so I want to run through these as we go fairly, fairly quickly. But first about that Everett shooting. Yes. You know, someone has to do something. Someone did in this case. So the idea that there's nothing we can do isn't true. We probably can never completely eliminate evil if if history is any guide. But this grandma did. She saw in her grandson's journals. Was it journals in some kind of writing? She was paying attention. Yeah, it was a, it was a she actually read his journals and he was he had been a troubled kid and so th- there wasn't the first sign but she went to the effort of reading through his journals and seeing that he was planning this. And for those of you who aren't in Washington, Everett is just a little north of Seattle, so the absolute opposite corner of where this Florida shooting was, the opposite corner of the country, 
And the same week, the day before, interestingly, this may have ended up being a Valentine's Day shooting as well, as crazy as that sounds, in two completely different states. But she found out about it. She called the was it the police or the FBI on her own grandson, mm-hmm. which how hard is that to do? But it's better than seeing your grandson on the news in a story like what did happen in Florida. So paying attention and being alert worked. It it appeared to have saved what they think was almost certainly going to be a shooting. I think the challenge for in that scenario, though, for those of us who are parents and, and we both have kids, yet it would be very difficult to accept that my kid was even capable of that. And it and I my guess is not having ever spoken to the parents of these situations that no parent is going to take that it would be very hard to take that seriously and think my kid really is having trouble they might be on the verge of actually walking into a school and murdering a bunch of people that is I can see why you would want to um, you'd have to have a ton of signs in advance yeah you'd have to have a ton of signs I can see why people would would ignore signs pointing in that direction because you really don't want to think that's true. And how often do you hear that anyway in schools today where parents say, not my kid, my kid didn't do that, it was the other kid. And I don't know how prevalent that really is. That's definitely a a stereotype of parents, American parents today. How often that happens, I don't know. Anecdotally, I know it's true. Yeah, (laughs) anecdotally, we hear it a lot. Not my kid, my kid's the good kid. It's the teacher that's the jerk. Uh, or the other, the other student or, or whatever. Everybody how else. Much, how much more so if it's my kid's going to go in and shoot up a school? I mean, you'd have yeah. to have a thousand red flags in advance before you'd be wanting to accept uh, that as a parent. A little parenthetical in all this, by the by, our parents did not fall into that trap. I don't think they were blaming other people for our <laughs> problems at all. No, like the time I got we love you, mother. school. I got a hack at school when I was in fourth grade. You, you, I'm sure you wouldn't remember this. And then you come was, home and get another one. Yeah. It was Milo's fault, actually, not mine. I got mm-hmm. framed at school and got a hack, and then I got home just because I was hanging out with him, although I hung out with him all the time. I don't, I don't even remember what he did. Then I got another hack when I got home. Yes. Like, I well, was so unfair. Well, here's the thing, and in, 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 you know, we joke about it a little bit, but the thing is now, I mean, since you're now an old man, this, the statute of limitations has run on this. The problem, I mean, the, truly, though, today, that there are teachers who – call CPS if they find out that their student has been I, w- I was talking to a principal yesterday in a Washington State school district and some of the challenges that they have were the parents who are involved and actually discipline their kids and they spank them that the teachers are now calling the state and reporting those parents who actually I mean, not necessarily abusive, and of course there's things you can do that are abusive, and that's a whole other conversation. Just for a regular spanking. Yeah, because the parents intervened and realized what their kids were doing. And so you have, in one hand, you have the set of parents who are, you know, negligent and kind of they they, um, are enabling a whole bunch of bad behavior because they don't want to believe their kid had any problems. And then you Mm -hmm. have the other parents who know that's not true and, and take what, at least for you and I were pretty conventional steps towards discipline. And now that is considered a a police matter. Yeah. And maybe that is a, an issue with, with discipline. And I suppose it's a family by family thing. It's it's hard to say, but for us, we did not have enabling parents. No, most certainly not. We were a straight and narrow type, whether you like it or not. So I want to take about 60 seconds before we move into these 
Facebook comments and social media comments and just talk quickly about the idea of moral relativism. That's another thing in our culture that has become more popular, which is there's no such thing really as, as, as absolute wrong and absolute right, absolute good, absolute bad. It's, it's all relative. And that idea on days like this dies. Everybody knows deep down that this is evil. There's no way around it. It wouldn't matter if this had happened in another culture a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, a thousand years from now. This isn't relatively wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And so the next time it comes up where, you know, personally, I oppose school shooting. I wouldn't ever do it myself, but I wouldn't want to impose that on somebody else. We hear that argument, of course, for other ideas. But a lot of ideas are absolutely wrong. And this is first and foremost among them. Nobody is a relativist anymore. Next time you hear that argument, point to this week and say, no, there is absolutely wrong. And there is absolute right as well. So let's moving from there. I'm going to read some of these and you just respond and I'll respond and and see. What can we do? Because that's the question everybody has, right? What can we do to fix this? And there's a lot of ideas out there. I actually posted this on my Facebook page. I got a lot of responses from people that were helpful. I also found things on other social media sites. I copied a few of them. I'm just going to read them off and and see what you think. What purpose does an AR-15 have in our society except for mass killing? Why would a young man need such a weapon or even be allowed to own such a weapon? Have we completely lost our senses? This is madness. That is actually, I mean... I don't disagree with that sentiment that AR-15s, people don't hunt with AR-15s. Um, and but, ironically, it's because they're not powerful enough for a lot of hunting. For a lot of, yes. They yeah, can, people think they're these massively powerful guns, and they're dangerous guns that they shoot a person, but they're not particularly powerful as guns go. No, but they do fire quickly. They do. Which they, is and the purpose of them. They're bad weapons when they're aimed at innocent people with with Without yes. a doubt. So I think I think that that is. I have two responses to that. In the sentiment, I I, as a general matter, agree with that AR-15s don't serve a particularly practical purpose. I am highly skeptical that you can actually stop people who want to do something like this now from getting weapons that are going to harm people, though. I mean, and, yeah. and so what's the let, let's let's uh, imagine the scenario in which it was not possible to get an AR-15, and so he had to get a different kind of weapon, and maybe he just had, you know, and I, I'm I'm no gun expert, so I'm not going to pretend to be one on a podcast. But there are rifles, there are pistols, there are there are ways to shoot lots of rounds. Maybe not as quickly as an AR-15 allowed him to do, but if he wanted to do this. He was going to do it, and he was going to have access to a weapon. uh, An AR-15 is a semi-automatic, which are legal, and there are a lot. Most rifles are semi-automatic. Even a lot of pistols are semi-automatic, and the idea that you can just switch out a magazine or or a clip and put in a new one that's full, that's what he did. He he came with a number of magazines that were full. I I don't know if they were 10-round, 20-round, but replaced them, and— that there are hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands, if not millions, of those type of weapons in the country. How would you get rid of all of them? Well, that is not practical. According to the Washington Post from 2015, 
there were 357 million firearms in the country. Yeah, more than 100,000, I guess. Sheesh. No, that, it's three, that's firearms. That's of, a, of a various categories. So yeah, I, I was talking shotguns. about some automatics, I guess. No, yeah. we're talking about th- – but there's 357 million firearms according to this estimate in the country. And that's, of course, more than there are people in the country. So, yeah, yeah. if we all had a button, if, if the easy button was sitting there and we could say, okay, we're going to push this button and it's going to make every assault rifle in the country disappear. I think I'd be willing to push that. Now, there are probably some Second Amendment folks who might disagree with me on that, but the— And I might disagree with that, and I'll, and I'll tell you in a tell second why. why. But before we get that, I want to continue this vein of thought yeah. and read—I was going to actually save this till later, but a poem that actually a relative of ours posted on Facebook. And this is one that, I'm, that I disagree with, but the sentiment— is is really good. I think it's a good representative of her viewpoint. And to mention too that a lot of really wonderful people disagree on this topic. Heck, on almost all topics. But on this topic, a lot of great people disagree. And so even though we disagree, it doesn't mean we can't spend time with each other and really try to work together to come up with ideas that actually might work. Because even though the other person's idea you totally disagree with, they're still wonderful people and the hostility that we see isn't productive at all. And so I say that to say, because this is a relative of ours that we both love. I'm not going to say who it is. And her idea is different than ours, but it's her idea is expressed well in this poem that she didn't write, but she copied. So let me read it here. It's America is a gun is the name of this poem. England is a cup of tea, France, a wheel of ripe ripened brie, Greece, a short squat olive tree. America is a gun. Brazil is football on the sand. Argentina, Maradona's hand. Germany, an oomphah band. America is a gun. Holland is a wooden shoe. Hungary, a goulash stew. Australia, a kangaroo. America is a gun. Japan is a thermal spring. Scotland, a highland fling. Oh, better to be anything than America as a gun. And that's the poem that really outlines... It would be better if America wasn't a gun, if we didn't have so many guns in America. I think that's the point, this this well-written well, poem. Is well, I right. would think, yeah, that, that poem seems to be saying that that's what we're, no, we're known most for. Is, right. Is, you take Australia is a kangaroo and America is a gun. What's the first thing you think of? I don't, yeah. I, I, I understand the emotion and the frustration because I think everybody feels the frustration. I, like you, I think don't agree that the thing America is most known for is the number of weapons it has. Now, there is a, you know, our, our history and our Second Amendment and, and kind of um, fierce independence has fostered an environment where there are guns. And there's a downside to that. Just like, I mean, there's a, there, who are the, pe- the, the people who argue against freedom generally? And there are those folks because freedom has not been the, the natural state of being. And, and, and the argument that the founding fathers made against free, freedom and, and Benjamin Franklin's famous quote on the steps of Independence Hall in Philadelphia when asked, what have you done? You know, what have you given us, sir? And 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 Benjamin Franklin, a republic, if you can keep it. And why is that? Because they understood there's a ton of risk involved in what we have just done, because we have created an environment with an unprecedented amount of freedom. And that was the thing, you know, Thomas, 
or James Madison always wrestled with the fact that because men are not angels, that's why we have to restrain government. But it's also why we need some restraints on society, and that's what they 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 counted on the family and the church and, and I civil societies. Something for people who are who are afraid of guns or or wish we had far fewer guns to remember is America will be very difficult for both a foreign country to invade and, t- and successfully take over and for a hostile government, for, the, for the, co- the government to ever go Nazi, for example, like what happened in Germany. Right. If, if, the, if our government ever went Nazi somehow, they would have a hard time imposing their Nazi will on America because there are 350 million guns held by private citizens across this country. And yeah. at that time, all of a sudden, the, the we would arm ourselves. To this, whether it's liberals or, or whoever would say, well, right now, yeah. I'm glad my neighbor has all these guns because I didn't agree with my neighbor much, but at least I like my neighbor and we get along for the most part. And so he's going to be on my side when this invading army or all of a sudden this, yeah. this Nazi takeover government. A ground occupation of the United States, I think, is literally impossible. The amount of manpower and people. Because it, it, yeah, when you have just, when you have 300 million people. And you have more than 300 million guns and you know that literally every person in the country could be armed at the same time. There's no army that's prepared to take that on. That's a heck of a deterrent. And that was the idea behind it. So that that's the idea why it's good to have guns in America in the hands of good people. But the response to that, I think, is that the greater risk right now is not from some invading ground force um, from a country, but from people inside our country who are taking those weapons that are easily available and then walking into schools and shooting people. So, so let's, let's would, talk about that then. And that's what I think the, the, the gun control advocates would say is let's deal with the actual problem, not some imaginary invasion from a country that's not actually going to invade us. Yeah. And, and response to that is it's not entirely imaginary. Most countries at some point have been at war, historically speaking. So this isn't some out there idea fortunately it has never happened to the united states and maybe this is why but or at least part of the reason why but uh, nonetheless let's move on to ideas that would help as as it is right now in 2018 in our culture one person said media attention actually several people said this i'll read one of these these comments i would say it's the rise in media the last 30 years our children are crying out for attention and so they do what gives them attention this is the idea of getting, you know, streaking across the football field to get the get attention. That's that's all that is about. Nobody runs across a football field when nobody's there uh, naked. Right. They do it for the attention. And and the networks what, have all responded by not putting those people on camera. They I mean, do. Exactly. And, and, you never and, see it unless you're at the game. Yeah. Yeah. And the and that's the reason why is because they don't want to glorify it. They don't want to incentivize it because they realize that the drunk guy who just did that, all he wants is, you know, three seconds of fame and be able to go back with his buddies tomorrow and laugh about it. And is that what's going on with some of these shootings? Are these kids seeing the attention in the news and thinking, man, I can get my 30 seconds and they're somehow in their demented mind and think that's that's the way to do it. Well, when you look at the shooting that was averted in Everett and the excerpts from the diary. The kid wrote very specifically about how he had been studying other shooters, had been learning from their mistakes, and there is a bit of, of, of glamorizing where they talk about, and even this Nicholas Cruz case, had, been, had talked previously about how he could do so much better than other shooters. And so, yes, I do think there's a bit of of 
you know, of sick, twisted evil, like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. Now people know who they are. Now they matter. And I do think deep down inside the, the, the souls are broken people who, who want to matter to somebody. And, and, I think, and I think in some level they have decided this is the only way I can be significant. Yeah, and that it's hard to totally disagree with that. But what do you do about that? We have a Second Amendment that protects the right to own guns. And we have a First Amendment that protects the right of the media to say pretty much whatever they want to say. And what people are interested in right now is yeah. this shooting. And they want to know what's yeah. what's making this kid tick. What, what, what does he look like? Does he look like a normal kid? Does he look like a freak? So they want to see his picture. They want to hear yeah. his name. They want to know his history. How do we stop media attention? I'm not sure that you can in a free society. Well, you you can't pass a law that says – media is not allowed to cover these stories. It would be interesting to be inside of Nicholas Cruz's head right now. And if he feels like, you know, because he's now a household name in America and it was all worth his picture is all over. He's accomplished exactly what he wanted to. People know me. I wonder. Yeah. And you can't, you can't wonder that maybe that is exactly what's going on. So I guess the media could do what they do to the streakers running across the football field and just say, we're not going to give his name. We're not going to give his picture. If somebody else does that, then that's on them. But this organization isn't going to do that. And and really, that would come from the readers. That would come from the listeners. That would come from the viewers saying, this is what we want as public. We don't want right. you to publish this. And if enough people say that, then that's what they'll do because they're into pleasing their consumers. But the reason I don't think they're going to do that is because ultimately their businesses and they're looking for eyeballs and they're looking for clicks and people are curious. And that's the reason people go to media is in, in media's responsibility is to, um, well, at least their business responsibility is to provide content and information that the public is wondering about. And can you collectively get everyone to just say, because there's a greater, there's a greater good at stake here. We're all going to forego the clicks and the uh, the eyeballs that we would get by producing yeah. this information. Because you I'm know not, there's going to be somebody out there that says, "I'm not doing that. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna tell everybody I'll who it know. is." And yeah. then I, I I think that's a. It may I understand be the point. Task. It may be impossible. That media attention. We don't like that he gets an attention. The attention, but we all want to know. And how do you solve that human nature problem? Let's yeah. let's jump to a second one regarding arming teachers, which I think is an interesting discussion too. People get upset when all these gun-free zones get shot up and scream why. Well, they're advertising that it's a place full of vulnerable, unarmed people. How do people not understand that? They protect the president, politicians, and other important people with guns. They protect our country with guns, but not our kids. Should we have guns in the schools to protect the kids? Another interesting point I heard in the conversation that I think underscores that. Notice where all of these school shootings are happening. The kinds of schools. For the most part, they are suburban, upper, middle to upper class schools. Where have you never seen a mass school shooting? Well, I shouldn't say never because I don't know that for sure. I don't know that. But I, I cannot think of a mass school shooting in an inner city school. What do they have in inner city schools that doesn't exist in suburban schools? Security. Because yeah. inner city schools have dealt with, by virtue of their location, they've been dealing with other challenges for a while. And not 
in response necessarily to mass shootings, but in response to other challenges that they've had within the school environment, they have created a security apparatus that doesn't exist in every school. And that's interesting. That's actually the, the next point I had anyway. Um, so you, yeah, you raise an interesting point but there. and I think That's that not does. specifically to arming teachers. No, it's not. Yeah, the, the idea of arming teachers, I think, makes some sense. Unless the teacher doesn't want to be armed, like, there's almost worse than not being armed is being armed when you have no idea what to do with the gun. Yeah, clearly that's not a good. And so, yes. but having teachers that do know how to handle guns, a lot of teachers do know how to ha- handle guns. They do it already. They may have a concealed carry. Having a few teachers there, and then I saw I saw a sign on a school that said, "Personnel at this school are armed." Yeah. And prepared to use whatever means necessary to protect our students. I would, I would be completely supportive of el- of eliminating those those lame gun free zone signs, which are of course are intended to keep kids from bringing guns to school. You can still have a policy that says students are not allowed to pack heat in their backpack. That yeah. makes sense to all of us. <laughs> but the idea that there's this is but absolutely a gun free zone. That if you come in here with a gun. You'll be the only one armed, so it's going to help in case you want to kill Which is kind of the opposite. Nobody's shooting right. back. It's the opposite of what every home security uh, company does by putting their big sign outside the house, notifying right. people that this house is protected by you know such and such. And, and a lot of people put the sign out without even the security exactly. system. It's because, not even right? protected. It's All supposed to be a def- sign. It's supposed to be a deterrent. A- it's enough to tell them, well, I'll check out the next house then. But the reason we think that matters is because we understand the psychology is, wow, if there's a deterrent to me being there, maybe I'll go find an easier target. But what they we've done— They should a sign, this school protected by laser shooting robots that will instantly take you out as soon as it smells a gun or something yeah. like that. You know, Even though it's false, maybe they'll just move on to somewhere else. But, but it's, advertising that we have no defense against you seems so foolish. It, I, I agree with that. So that I, I, you know, my wife is a teacher and, um, I don't, I'm, I'm not opposed and my kids of course go to school and your kids go to school. It does not bother me. I mean, if somebody is a teacher in the classroom, they are already somebody that we have determined can be trusted to, you know, supervise and be in charge of children. And in the event that that happened and somebody starts running through the hallways, do I want one of them to have a gun to be able to fire back? Of course I do. Am I scared at the prospect that a teacher who's been through some firearms training and has a concealed weapons permit has a handgun strapped around his ankle? No, that really doesn't bother me, even if there's not an imminent threat. So, yeah, I'm certainly open to it. And an objection I saw was, we're going to have more guns in the school. Some kid's going to get their hands on the gun and start firing and, and, and injure or kill somebody. And there are ways to prevent that. You, you can have locks on the guns. You can have the gun, like you said, in an ankle holster just yeah. for the, on the, on this, uh, teacher's on the person. person. Yeah. That would be the only, I, I think you'd either have to have a safe with like a, you know, with fingerprinted access or, right. Or a, uh, or you has to be on your person. Yeah, you're not going to leave the guns the, around in your in your yeah, just sitting on the desk suitcase. or something underneath the flag. Well, it's, it's America. We got flag and gun sitting next to it. That's not going to happen at school. Let's go to what you talked about a minute ago: securing doors, securing the school. A couple different comments I saw on Facebook. I'm going to read. I'm in favor of having metal detectors at schools. We have them at courthouses, and we search people and have them go through. 
go through the metal detectors at sporting events. So that was one mm-hmm. comment like what you just made. Another one, the schools that I work at in Minnesota have a locking system where you cannot get through the front doors unless you were buzzed in through the office. And then a response somebody else made to that is that I'd be concerned that responders would have issues gaining access during an active shooter situation. So if you get buzzed in, it locks yeah. the doors. How do the responders get in? Obviously, the secretary is not going to be sitting there to, to, to buzz them in. To buzz them in, yeah. So that, a couple interesting comments on securing the schools, which you already alluded to a minute Well, I'm, yeah, I'm no expert in school security either. But the, the fact that all of these schools that have been targeted – that at least in my memory that I can think of fit a particular school demographic says something to me about the fact that you can do better than nothing when it comes to securing a school. And is that something that, you know, should be done? And I know that there's all sorts of apparatuses now. Um, and, and I know because of the schools that I'm involved with, they're actually running these drills for active school shooters. And there's these tools that teachers now have that they can slip under a door um, to basically make a door unopenable from the yeah, hallway. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and so there is there are there are tools that you can make to prepare. And, and I don't know and to, to what expensive, yeah. inexpensive and fairly it's, practical. It's like $10 per room for this little thing that makes it so you can't open the door and the people inside can, can easily apply that. And you know, that stuff is practical and, and smart and it's insurance. Um, and we talked about this at actually when I was on the school board for, for Montesano, we talked about the idea of this buzzing door. Exactly. And in fact, we did it at the first through third grade school um, did not at the high school. We talked about more security measures at the high school. And I ended up coming down against the idea. It was a question. Of, we had a certain amount of money. What should we spend this money on? And that's that's reality for every school. We have money. How much? What should we spend on what? And the superintendent was arguing maybe not strongly in favor, but at least strongly in favor of considering more security measures at the front, which I can understand why. But I ended up arguing against it for this reason because if we, we didn't want a shooter going in and doing this exact thing. Yeah. But the problem is we could spend the money on that, but I'm not sure that it would have actually helped anything. Reason being, the shooter could have just waited outside the school for school to get out. And when the kids come walking out of the school, just start firing and, and take out the kids. And would it really be an improvement if they died outside as opposed to inside? Um, not necessarily, I, but why do you think that's never happened? I mean, in, in, in the, in this, in the school shooting examples that we have. Probably cause they can go in. They all go in. They can. And so they choose to go in, but if they couldn't go in and in fact, there was one school shooting. I don't know if you remember the shoot. This was 15 years ago, maybe, maybe even more, but the guy sat on a hill outside the school and shot kids on the playground. It was terrible. But so there, there, uh, it has happened before. Yeah. And it would probably it would probably happen again. They they can go in, and so they do. Um, if they couldn't go in, then they wouldn't, and it wouldn't be that big of a difference. And I mean, inner city schools are safer, you said in that regard. But really, inner cities aren't safer. A lot of them, in general, or, no, in general. not in the general community. And so but... we stopped we stopped it in the schools, which is good. But then you see it. Uh, I don't know if it's an either or situation. It, it almost certainly isn't. But we still see violence going on even though it's not going on in the schools. And so we can reduce it to a degree. And 
should, but ultimately, I don't know how much it would help if an evil person really wants to do some hideous act of evil. In fact, you know the worst school shooting ever, or the worst, and, and it's a trick question, because the worst, worst school shooting is not a school shooting. It was a bombing in 1927 in Michigan. This whack job put dynamite, buried it around the school, apparently at night, I don't know exactly when he did it, and then let it off during the day and dozens of, of students and teachers died. Oh, I didn't, I was not aware of that. It's the worst one ever. And it didn't use the, he didn't use a gun. So if you don't have access to the school or if you don't have access to guns and you're still a psycho and you want to kill people, sadly, they'll find another way to do it. And it's, it's sad, which brings us maybe to mental health. Yeah. And this is actually the last, last one I did. Uh, copying things down is what what can we do about it mental health came up a lot and a couple ideas one if you're expelled from school you don't get to have a gun until you're 21 legally what what do you think of that idea um well it seems like a relatively low bar for uh revoking constitutional rights that that's the so uh, i i don't know I had, if maybe. that could um i don't even know if that would but we're not talking about stand. getting suspended or getting sent expelled to, i'm talking about expelled because almost all of these cases are happening Which, by young men uh, not fact, all of whom all have been them. yeah well yeah the shooters are all young men students former yeah. students not all of them had been expelled. Some of them were just no, no. mad at everybody in their school, and they were just. But a little profiling might be in order here. I know yeah. profiling is kind of a, a bad word to some, but there is a profile. They're all young, and they're all male. And largely they're light-skinned, but that might be, be a representative of the population because most people are dark-skinned. There have been some darker-skinned uh, kids that have done this. So mostly it's not even that. It's gender and 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 uh age and age and so if we are targeting and looking at that particular demographic and a kid who's been expelled from school this kid was expelled from three different schools so the idea that maybe we give him a few years until he's 21 to try to get his head in, in the right place because a lot of them probably do eventually figure it out and they get get through that age and they, they become responsible citizens but we're talking about a demographic that's already a little bit more dangerous and then when they're being expelled from schools maybe we don't let them legally buy a gun i'd be open to considering that idea i i don't know that it ultimately would help very much because they could still buy one illegally and that's probably what a lot of them would do right but i don't know that that's an idea i think might have i, th- I think it yeah i think that that because that is that, that's probably yeah, it seems based on what we know that's the population that is most likely to commit this particular kind of crime so there's worth it's worth doing some things to address that i don't you know i don't know if that would withstand any kind of a constitutional challenge to that because, because it's being targeting a group or just because no, it's not because it's not it, illegal they haven't done it right i mean you, you, i mean you can i mean you can stop certain people from Purchasing guns, of course, you know, and terrorists can't buy guns, felons can't buy guns, and so there, there are, there is a bar that you can reach, but having been 
expelled from school when you were 13 because you got in a fight or what? I mean, who knows? No, I agree. I think it would have to be a high school student. If you got expelled when you were much younger, then that probably wouldn't apply. Or, or, or even 15 school. or 16, whatever, whatever that is. Um, I, 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 I just don't know if the courts would. Um, well, you could raise the age to 21, period, to buy a gun, probably. I'll bet, I'll bet that could be passed as a law and passed muster. But I'm not yes. – I, I don't know. I take more thought. And so the idea that you could limit some people to 21 seems like it might It might be legal. Well, you couldn't do some people and, uh, and not other people. That's what you couldn't do. You'd have to create a rule that applied the same to everybody. Well, what, not if they were expelled. Not if they, if they had exhibited certain behavior that is considered dangerous behavior. Like this kid apparently had a bunch of red flags. Like becoming a felon. And, and the, and the yeah, other students said, yeah. yeah, I'm not surprised it was him because that kid was off. And when that many people are saying you're off, you would think legally there should be a way to well, restrict Well, yeah, but, that, but that's such a hard thing to quantify because we all have probably run into people in our lives that we would say, yeah, they were off. And if there's somebody likely to snap and do something bad, I'd put them as more likely than like maybe everybody else. But how do you quantify that in a legal way? That's the challenge. Mm-hmm. And, and because, you know, what the I mean, we saw these reports that the, the cops had been called to this kid's house, I think, like 39 times. I didn't see that. Wow. I, I yeah, they had. Um, yeah. 39 times. Deputies had gone to this 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 guy's house. So they knew. I mean, this, and he talked to anybody in law enforcement, they you know. Ninety yeah. percent of their calls are they to like the is. same. They know that they know the people. They know the neighborhoods. They know the relationships. It's you like know. Delhi down the street. They got their regular customers too at the police station. It's exactly right, and and so this is apparently one of them. So yeah, they could they could easily finger this kid in this house as a place where a problem is more likely to arise than just any house picked at random from the community. But that doesn't mean you can suddenly seize their civil liberties because everybody thinks they're off. And that's the challenge with all of this is balancing civil liberties with public safety. And it's kind of this old classic debate of I mean, but but just because the public thinks somebody's off doesn't mean they're not entitled to the same civil rights as everybody else. And we all know the, the problem if we walk down that path and if our assessment is everybody thinks they're a little weird, therefore here's the things they shouldn't be allowed to do. Mm-hmm. We all understand the problems with that because the majority isn't supposed to be able to revoke the minority's rights just because they don't fit in in some way. Yeah, it's potentially a very big problem. And, and so writing that rule in law so that it, that it is clear enough that it's interpreted so that everybody knows what it actually means but still protects so everybody's easy, rights, yeah. how do you do that? It does make it, it, does make it difficult. There's no question. It last along those lines, what about the idea – actually, my wife raised this idea of potentially having schools – I mean they do already – schools for troubled kids specifically the, where you could send a kid who's just got – a ton of red flags, whether it's the, the, the judge doing it mm-hmm. from a juvenile delinquent situation or maybe even a principal recommending to the parents or the guardians, you know, this school over here is set up really well to deal with kids who are, who are troubled, who are having these issues, who are angry, who are violent. Yeah. And that's not new. That, that exists. That's existed for a long time. But expanding that even more to 
allow more, make it easier to get to those schools, having more options that are nearer. How would how would that help though? Because you know, again, in the case of these kids in the schools, could potentially help a lot if there's schools that are good at helping kids like that. Well, that's I mean, yeah, it's it's how do you help? I mean, because the again, in the case of the Everett kid who was fortunately did not carry out a school shooting part of the story there is that he was deciding between two schools Kamiak High School and then the alternative school that he had also been in and he flipped a coin to decide which one he was going to target sheesh and it was the alternative school that he had been part of that he had decided he was going to go shoot up and so so for him it didn't work well, Going it clearly didn't work, and and you know, and I when I was in college, I tutored at some of these places, and and they have a those kids have a unique set of challenges that really have nothing to do with academics or probably the school environment, and in 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 from my observation, it almost always had to do with the kind of home that they were coming from that just created broken kids who. They, they couldn't function in an academic setting because they were being abused. They were completely neglected. They had no sense of belonging. They had no identity. And so the whole, whole idea of just sitting still and focusing on academics and making sure you get in your math, right? They, right. they just they didn't have the mental capacity for that because there were so many other things in their world that were – their foundation was not there for them to be able to pursue academics or even just behave like we would think a civilized kid would behave. And a school right. can, and, and a school's not going to, you're not going to create an academic environment that's going to fix that. That's why you know when it comes from the Family Policy Institute, we we think that families are ultimately the building blocks to everything. And when families fall apart, government can do its best to react, but you can't solve the problem from a governmental level because it's ultimately a it's a it's a soul spiritual problem of the country, which again, is traced to kind of the sole spiritual problem of the individuals. And that really leads in perfectly to the conclusion here of what can we do? Because we, we discussed a lot of things that might help in some ways, but really won't stop the most evil people from doing what they want to do. So what can we do? And I think there actually are a couple of things that will help, at least with our neighbors, at least with ourselves. The first one is raising up our children. You already mentioned that. I saw this comment over and over and over. We need to have good parents. And part of having good parents is being good parents. And beyond that, even if you're not a parent, foster parenting or being a big brother, big sister, part of a program like that, we can't change the whole world. As much as we like to say, I want to change the world someday when we're young. But we can change people right next to us in some cases, or at least give them every opportunity to be the best that they can be by being good parents, by fostering kids who are, who are don't have good parents. So don't have that situation and being a big brother, big sister type of situation with these organizations. So many people doing that. And that needs to be mentioned and encouraged for people. And I, I think you're right. I think that if we dug into these stories, you'd find just brokenness and, and this Nicholas Cruz character who was adopted both of his adoptive parents have died in recent years. Um, we don't know his whole story. Does that excuse anything? Absolutely not. And, and I'm, no. what I'm also unwilling to say is that anytime somebody snaps and does something horrible, that it's the parents' fault because they did something wrong. There are just there are people who are who we don't understand. There's just something you know off is kind of the term. And I don't want to blame the parents in every case, but we also know that on balance, so many 
like soul problems within people could have been avoided if mom and dad had been around, if somebody had said, you matter, I love you, you, you have value, I'm going to show you that by how I treat you and that I, that I invest in you and that you have a place where you belong and there's a place that you can go where you can be safe and you can be who you are. And there's so many people who don't have that. For those of us who did, who grew, have had that our whole lives, it's, it's hard to imagine but for many other people, it's hard to imagine anything other than just kind of rejection and loneliness and no sense of belonging. And I want to just say a big thank you to everybody who is doing that now. Both parents that are doing that with their kids, they are being strict and loving toward their kids. Or they're involved with, with children who aren't even their own as, as coaches, as, as foster parents, as uh, the big brother, big sister situation where they are – really speaking into these kids' lives yeah. and making a difference. I know, like that grandmother did up in Everett, there are other people who are avoiding situations that we will never hear about because of what they're doing and how they are blessing other kids' lives and helping them learn how to make good decisions in life and how yeah. to feel loved and love others. And I think there's one other thing that, that when we, we all went to school and there's always those kids out there that are a little different, that they don't quite fit in, and very early in life, we learn who we are with respect to the community around us. And it's tempting. It's, it's hard to connect with people who aren't exactly like you. It's less comfortable, whether there's cultural differences or racial differences or just interest differences. You know, I'm a jock and they're a nerd, however we want to see those things. But I think one thing that we can all do that's very practical is we can make an effort to reach out and care about people that are different than us. Because if you're somebody growing up in a school and everybody thinks you're different and you're a little off, you begin to just believe that about yourself. And you never have a place to belong. Nobody cares about you. Nobody includes you. You don't develop normal, healthy friendships. You just begin to believe you're the kid who's off. And that's not fun because we're all made for relationships. We're all made to love people and be loved. And if we never feel like that is made available to us, do we get bitter? Yeah, I think we would. I think we would because nobody cares about me. Nobody has spent the time. You know, I eat lunch alone every single day and I don't like sitting in the cafeteria alone every day. So now I'm just going to go to the bathroom because then I don't feel like such a loser. Like everybody's looking at me like he's a loser because he has no friends. And that takes a toll on people. And so I think one thing that we can do is begin, and as believers, this is part of our calling, who are the marginalized, who are the outcasts, who are the people who are not naturally included in everything, who don't have that sense of belonging, and go find those people. Not because they are necessarily the next school shooter, but because they have value, they're created in the image of God, and they matter. And we need to know that, but we need to communicate that by the way we act. Oh, and by the way, if we do that, we're also going to help other people find who they are, yeah. find their identity. And I think we would avoid a future. That, of course, you, you have no way of knowing who's who's the kid who, because of the foster parent who stepped in, would no, have been never the make next. The news. You'll never know. You'll but never it does, know. But it, it matters. Make a difference. It, it clearly it, makes a difference. And that and that point is is spot on. I, I hope people really resonate with that point the idea of loving people that is the last thing that that i had that we can do today 
to actually make a difference. And you just you, you summed it up very well there. Loving people wherever they're at, people who are hurting after a situation. I mean, imagine the pain of these families having lost their loved ones in, in something like this. Most of us will never go through that, but all of us will go through something that is that is difficult, that is hard. And we can be there for each other to show God's love to each other and then point to God who really is ultimately the source of salvation for all of this. One day, all of us, one way or the other, will go, will leave this earth, and God is our source of salvation for eternity. And in the meantime, we can show God's love to each other, and that makes a difference. It won't solve the problem entirely, but yeah. for those around us, it definitely makes a difference. Change yourself. This may sound flippant, but it's not. Michael Jackson, <laughs> if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. You want to sing it? And that's the truth. No, I don't. No. But you can dance. We'll, we'll, we'll wait till we're off air. Yeah. yeah. That, then I'll, I'll move it. That'll be featured on the vlog. Yeah, I'll be sure to watch that. Caleb doing. Caleb doing the Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Thanks for joining us today. Hope this has been helpful for you. We look forward to talking to you next time. The Smart and Stupid Podcast is a production of the Family Policy Institute of Washington. Follow us on Twitter at FPIW, online at Facebook.com backslash Family Policy, and at FPIW.org.